You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're halfway through the first chapter of Eruvin, and we're talking about the delineation of an alley, which has got courtyards opening it out onto it. And there's a picture of the alley on the source sheet. And the alley can have a pole on the side of it or a beam along the top of it. And this part of the Mishnah deals with the construction of the beams and the poles, the beams on the top and the pole on the side. And where we closed off in in the fourth Mishnah, which we discussed yesterday, was a remark of the Mishnah that the the beam, the beam running across the top of the um, entrance to the alley, has to be strong enough to hold a half brick. And we looked at these pictures of Roman bricks, and sure enough, most, most of these bricks are square. But we saw some bricks in this picture which had been cut into half. So here, look, these are from Spain in the second century. But you've got a picture of Roman bricks cut into half. And this is the Ariach, which the beam has to be strong enough to support. And you remember that Rabbi Yuda made um, the observation. He said, Rechava. Um, he said, Rabbi Huda says it's got to be wide enough, even though it is not strong enough. As far as Rabbi Huda is concerned, the strength, the practical ability of this beam to hold a brick is not important. As long as it is wide enough, as it, essentially as long as it's a tefach wide to hold that half brick. And we learned the Rambam yesterday, and the Rambam says the halacha does not go according to Rabbi Yehuda. It has to be strong enough to bear the weight and not break. That's the Rambam. And the Mish- but even though the halacha doesn't go according to Rabbi Yehuda, he still gets a whole Mishnah to explain himself. And that is the fifth Mishnah which we're going to pick up. And these, this Mishnah is in the voice of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yudah, who believes that strength is not important. And so he says, Haita shel kash or shel kanim, ro'in otak ilu hi shel matechet. If it was made of straw or of reeds, he's talking about the beam now, we look at it as if it was made of metal. We don't care how weak it is. Akuma ro'in otak ilu hi pshuta. If it was curved, if it was curved, then the, the brick might slide off. If it was curved, we don't worry. We look at it as if it was straight. Agular or inosakeilu hi marubat. If it was, if it was round, maybe it's a round beam. You can imagine. You could never. The Mishnah wants us to balance a brick on top of the beam. That was the fourth Mishnah. You can imagine if it's a round beam, you'll never, you're never going to balance the brick on it. But Rabbi Yudah wants to say. If it's round, we look at it as if it was square. Rabbi Yudah does not care about the practicalities of balancing the brick on the beam. And as we learned, the halacha doesn't go according to Rabbi Yudah. But the Mishnah then goes off onto a little segue, which is absolutely fascinating to any mathematician. And I could not resist bringing you the ex- an explanation for it. On the source sheet, the Mishnah then goes on to say, "Kol sheyesh beheke beheke yesh bo rochav tafach." 
anything that's got a circumference of three hands breadths has got a diameter of one hands breadth. The ratio of diameter to circumference is three to one. Those are the words of the Mishnah. And the Mishnah, by the way, seems to be referring or at least knowing a verse in Malachim, in Malachim Aleph. When we're talking about the construction of the Mishkan, uh, of the, sorry, the first, the first temple, we have some giant tank, we got a tank of cast metal, Eser Ba'ama Misfato Atzfato, 10 cubits from edge to edge, from brim to brim. So it's 10 cubits, uh, 10 cubits in diameter from edge to edge. And then the Tanakh goes on to say, Vikav Shloshim Ba'ama Yasov Otasaviv, and a line around it was 30 cubits. So again, in Tanakh, we've got this ratio of three to one for the ratio between the diameter of a circle and its circumference. We've got it in Tanakh and we've got it in Mishnah. And this is going to puzzle the Rambam. It's going to puzzle Maimonides because Maimonides is a rationalist. And he knows, by the way, that pi is approximately 3.14214. I think it's 3.1428. Maybe that's not exact. Pi is an irrational number. We can't compute it exactly. And the Rambam knows that. The, uh, the approximation which we are taught in uh, high school math, uh, or at least I was taught in high school math when I was in high school, was that 22 over 7. 22 over 7 is basically 3 and 1 seventh. That's a pretty good approximation for pi. At least that's what we were told. And I wanted to bring you the Rambam on this Mishnah, on our Mishnah, who is puzzled by the fact that if the approximation is 22 over 7, how can the sages of the Mishnah, how can they say it's 3 to 1? It's not 3 to 1. It's 3 and a 7th to 1. And it's an irrational number. Here are the words of the Rambam. You should know, he says, you should know that the ratio of the diameter to the circumference of a circle is not known. And it is impossible to speak about it precisely. As if he knows this is an irrational number. Absolutely fascinating from Maimonides. And then he says, It's not due to a lack of, of, um, a lack of knowledge on our part, as some fools think. But this number can't be known because of its nature. Mitivo, because if its nature can't be known. It's not in its reality to know it. But it can be approximated. And he gives the approximation of three and a seventh, which is 22 over seven. Uh, tw uh, yeah, 22 over seven. But then this is the, this is the killer point. Because this ratio is not precise. The Rambam knows it's an irrational number. It's only an approximation. For that reason, he says, the rabbis used a more general value. They used a more general value because they knew that pi was an irrational number. And then, and that's why they said, look, any circle with a circumference of three has a diameter of one. And they were all quite happy with that in their, in their calculations. In other words, the rabbis made a much more general approximation, but they did that in the knowledge that the real number was irrational and they couldn't get close to it. 
So Maimonides, if you like, has reconciled the mathematics of his time, the Arabic mathematicians, with the mathematics of the Talmud. And then the Mishnah, if you'll excuse that digression into mathematics and, of course, into Talmudic knowledge. I mean, the point is that the Rambam won't have the rabbis seen to be inaccurate. The Mishnah then goes on to talk about the post. Remember, we had the beam and the post is at the side. Here's a picture of the post, a blue post on the right-hand side of the alley to mark out the entrance to the alley. And the Mishnah says, L'chaim shamru, the height of the posts they talk about, are ten hands breadths. That's effectively the, uh, the ten tfachim, ten hands is a halachic boundary in the language of the Mishnah. And the Mishnah says, V'rochban v'avyam kolshehu, their width and their thickness can be any amount whatsoever. It's not important. Rabbi Yossi says, they have to be three hands breadths thick. I don't think the halacha goes according to Rabbi Yossi. And then the Mishnah is going to go on to say, you could make the posts out of anything you like. It does not matter what the post is made out of. Even you can make it out of something which is alive. So you could take an animal, providing it was 10 tfachim high. Okay, it has to be a reasonable size and tie it up by the side of the alley. That would be your post. You can have your cow tied to the side of the alley, and that will be your post. And the Mishnah is then going to say, It causes defilement as the covering of a tomb. If a tomb was built into the side of a mountain, maybe think of a cave. Think of a cave as a side entrance to, uh, sorry, an entrance at the side of the mountain. Think of a cave cut into the side of the mountain. So you go into the cave sideways and the tomb is the cave. So rather than going down into the tomb, you go sideways into the tomb, into the cave. And imagine parking an animal, tying the animal outside the tomb, just as if you were tying it outside the alley. And it will... um, uh, it'll uh, receive defilement just like the covering of any other tomb. Rabbi Meir um, says it's pure. We came, we heard from Rabbi Meir um, theoretically in yesterday's Mishnayot. And then, get nashim. You can write a get on it. There's a really interesting. It's said in English banking law <laughs> that you can write a check on the side of a cow. And of course, you give the check to whoever you're paying and they have to feed the cow until they cash the check and so does your bank. And the Mishnah has this idea too. You can actually write a get. rules He seems to be anxious that the cow might die. For example, what's going to happen to your get if the cow dies? And this is a parallel Mishnah and Gitin. And the Mishnah and Gitin, which we'll get into in maybe a year's time, you can write a get on anything. You can write it on a leaf, on a, on a um, olive leaf, a tiny leaf, and on the horn of a cow. And he gives her the cow. And you can also write it on the hand of a slave, and he gives her the, the <laughs> gives her the slave. And Rabbi Yossi Hagalili has the same position in the Mishnah there in Kitin. 
you may not write on any living thing, nor may you write a get on food. If you're going to write a get, you have to write it on something substantial and something durable. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.